We've been going through the book of 1 Samuel during the evening services, and as you know, when we reach a point in 1 Samuel where we see that David is probably writing a psalm about what is happening, I'm going to pause and I'm going to preach that psalm. So we'll have psalms interlaced with Samuel back and forth. Hopefully, uh, this is going to work. I've never seen anyone do it, but it seems special to be able to see the the psalms that David is writing in the midst of his life. So where are we right now? Um, We're at the point where David has just been anointed. He's been anointed as a young shepherd boy to be the next king. We don't know exactly when he wrote Psalm 23, but it certainly talks about his time as a shepherd, the things he's learned. The Psalms itself, though, are a special part of the Bible. All the Bible's inspired, of course. It's all special, but the Psalms are special in another way. They're not written maybe like the book of Romans. is more of a theological kind of treaty where very exact language is used. Of course, all the language is in Psalms by God's inspiration, so it is exact in its own way. But it's not like a theological work, like Romans, maybe. It's also not written like a narrative. It's not like a story, like Samuel or Genesis, just explaining the events of someone's life, a piece of history. No, the Psalms are special in a different way. They're in the very middle of your Bible, the heart of your Bible, if you will. That's a good way to remember kind of what the Psalms are. They're kind of the heart of the Scriptures. They show us what man is to believe about God and what duty God requires of man, but in a, an experiential way that's very, very special, in an emotional way often that's very special. And in this, we often see the heart of our Savior. So Psalm 23 itself is part of a special group of psalms, and it's just so exciting to me. I'm going to explain it, although it seems a little bit academic. academic. Um, I still want to do it. Uh, Psalms 15 to 24 are a group of songs that, psalms that talk about the king, what the king should be like, what the king should do. And it's kind of a, a chiastic structure. So you have 15 and 24 on the edges, and then it works up to 16 and 23, and then 17 and 22, etc. 20 and 21 are together with chapter 18, and then chapter 19 is at the top of the, of the chiasm, and that's the, the law of God. The law of God which the king should be meditating on day and night. That he should know and love. And he should see the law of God reviving his soul. So 15 and 24 talk about who might come into God's presence. The king should be there. 16 and 23 are the confidence of the king. Um, And we see the confidence of the king in chapter 23. This is where this chapter fits in to this grouping of psalms. 17 and 22 talk about the trust of the king. Remember, 22 is where uh, we see David crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Talking about uh, his own suffering, but really pointing forward to the suffering of Christ. And the trust of the king. And then in 18 and in 2021, we see the character of the king. And then the guidance of the king is chapter 19. That's the law. So this is kind of part of that grouping, but we're just going to focus on Psalm 23. Because this is a psalm written by David sometime in his life, but about the time when he was a shepherd, the lessons he learned as a shepherd. It's a familiar psalm, so I'm going to slow down. We're not going to do the whole thing tonight. I'm going to slow down and hopefully make you think about it 
in a way that you haven't uh, in the past. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy inspired word tonight? It's been preserved by the Holy Spirit for you for this very night. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would enliven your word in our hearts, that our minds would be illuminated, that we would understand this text that we have just read, that you would change us by the work of your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. It's the title of the sermon. We're just going to talk about each one of those words for a moment. And that's going to be the end of the sermon. After we are done talking about these words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, I'll be done speaking. We're going to talk about the Lord. We're going to talk about what it means to be my shepherd. And we're going to talk about what it means to be a shepherd. Each bit of it. And the implications of that truth. So we don't know exactly when David wrote this psalm. Some people think it was when he was a boy. Because there's a lot of future tense in the psalm. I shall not want. That's future forever. I shall never want anything. So maybe when he was actually doing the shepherding, he's writing this or singing this psalm. Others think that he wrote it much later in life. After he had been living for a long time as king. This is kind of the most pleasing way to look at it to me is he's a king and he's looking back on his long life and thinking of all the ways that God has preserved him. And the best way he can describe that is by his experience as a shepherd. And we we think that might be why or how it was written because a lot of the truth you read in Psalm 23 seems to express something of a seasoned Christian, someone who's experienced life. He's seen pain, he's seen heartache, and he's seen God caring for him in a very personal way. But whenever he wrote it, certainly his time as a shepherd is critical to his understanding that God is his shepherd. So the very first word in the psalm is not the, that's in English, in Hebrew it's just Yahweh. Lord, Yahweh, the Lord is my shepherd. So the Lord, for a Jew, this was the most sacred and holy name of God ever. You probably know that. It's four letters in the Hebrew text that we pronounce Yahweh, 
But the Jewish people would never say, ever. They would read the text, even the priests and the scribes would read the text, and they would get to that part, and they would just say Adonai. They would not say Yahweh. They had such a reverence for that name of God. There was one time in the year when the name was spoken by a Jewish person. That was on the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would go in to the holy place to make atonement for the sins of Israel. And at that time, he would speak what they reserved as the holy name of God. He would say, Yahweh. So there is something captivating and special to think that this boy David thought of God, of Yahweh, in this way. Yahweh, the God who's so holy that we won't even speak his name, was his shepherd, the Lord. Whenever you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in your scriptures, that's what, or just capital G, capital O, capital D, either one, that's the translator's way of telling you that in the Hebrew text, it's Yahweh. That's the name for God. David, of course, was a shepherd. So you might think, well, that sounds a little irreverent to equate Yahweh with the duties of a shepherd. Shepherds were, although in the time of David, maybe more respected, they still were not very high up on the social ladder. In the time of Christ, shepherds were not even allowed to testify. They were looked at as less than people almost. And yet David says that Yahweh was his shepherd. I think it's just fascinating to contemplate that. He knew who Yahweh was, and he says Yahweh is his shepherd. There's a man who wrote a little book called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. His name's Philip Keller. He's an actual shepherd who became a pastor. Some of you probably read it. It's a fascinating, wonderful little book. But he provides a number of insights that are helpful that only a shepherd would know. Only a shepherd would kind of grasp in a, in a modern society anyway. I think in the time when David wrote this, and even in the time of Christ, everyone kind of knew more about shepherds and their lives than we do today. So Philip Keller's book is helpful in a number of ways. One thing he highlights for us is that you have to understand the shepherd to know what is going to happen to the sheep. If you have a a horrible shepherd, the sheep are obviously not going to be cared for. They're not going to be healthy. They might be in danger. If you have a really, really good shepherd, then your sheep are probably going to do really well. He remembers, and he tells this story, when he was shepherding, there was a field next to his, and the shepherd was just lazy, and he wasn't too good. Whereas Philip Keller was trying his best to take good care of these sheep. He purchased the sheep, he brought them when they were young, he raised them, and he wanted to care for them, he wanted them to be healthy. The very next field over, same grass, same water, same everything, the sheep were not doing well. It's because of the shepherd. So who is the Lord? That's what we want to know. What's the character of Yahweh? If he's our shepherd, who is Yahweh? Because the character of the Shepherd, Yahweh, determines the care of the sheep. Who is he? Yahweh is the creator of all things. That's 
Yahweh. All things exist because of him, and in him all things hold together. Isaiah 40 talks about the greatness of Yahweh. He knows everything. In Isaiah 40, we read that he knows everything. His knowledge is perfect. His knowledge is eternal. He knows the end from the beginning. There's nothing that surprises God. He knows it all. It also teaches that Yahweh is powerful. He can do anything. All the nations of the earth are nothing in his sight. They're like grasshoppers. He's so powerful he can span the stars with his hand. The 250 million times 250 million stars in the universe, he calls them each by name. He hung the sun, the moon, and all the stars by his own power. And then you take just any cell of anything, take a cell of blood and put it on a microscope, an electron microscope, and you zoom in and you see there's a whole other universe, a universe more complex than we ever could understand or contemplate. And that whole universe, that microscopic universe, is also held together by God. He created all of it. He created the universe more complex than anything we can imagine, such as the creative power of our Lord. That's Yahweh. But we also learn through the Scriptures and in Isaiah 40 that Yahweh is gracious and compassionate and he's slow to anger and abounding in love. He can do no wrong. He can only do good. And in His holiness, all the wonderful attributes of God are united in purity and majesty. So we can't even grasp a tiny measure of the distance between God and us, between God and man. That's Yahweh. Sounds like a good shepherd. If he really is our shepherd, I think I want him as my shepherd. But how do we become the Lord's sheep? If Yahweh is who we're talking about, and that's his character, his sheep are going to be well cared for. And yet, it's not our decision to become part of this flock, is it? Because of the sin and rebellion of man, our relationship with the Lord was made impossible on our own. And yet, Yahweh chose to shower his grace upon some whom he had chosen, whom he purchased. He purchased some sheep for his own flock. So, in every way, then, Yahweh is infinite, he's immortal, he's unchangeable. In every way, his being, his wisdom, his power, his justice, his holiness and goodness and truth. And man is helpless before him. So to become one of the sheep of Yahweh's flock is the same as it is for every shepherd. Philip Keller talks about how when he began to grow his flock, he started by just going and purchasing sheep. And he brought them into his fold. That's what Yahweh did as well. So the amazing thing is that David understood Yahweh in a way that very few people seem to understand him at that time or even today. He's the creator God, the wisest of the wise, the king of the kings. And yet David declares that this God was his personal shepherd watching over him. And it's not original with David. Jacob in Genesis 48 said that God had been his shepherd all the days of his life. Truly, God does tend his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart and gently leads those who have young. Well, as we read in John 10 that Jesus is Yahweh in the sense that he has all the attributes of God the Father. They belong to the Son, and he is the good shepherd. 
He's the Lord and master of his church. And he often used the name I am throughout the Gospel of John especially. I am is kind of the Greek way to say Yahweh or I am that I am, the name that God spoke from the burning bush, which is very, very close in the Hebrew to the word Yahweh, to the name Yahweh. Remember the one time, the first time I think that the Pharisees wanted to stone Jesus, it was because he told them before Abraham was, what? I am. And they picked up rocks to kill him. Why? What did he say? He was, he was identifying himself with Yahweh. Our Yahweh, our God, is a special, wonderful shepherd. We're honored to have him as our shepherd. And David claimed to know Yahweh in a special way. So Yahweh, that's his character. But the special thing that David seemed to really grasp on to wasn't the character of his God, but that his God was his shepherd. He's not only omnipotent, omniscient, eternal, and holy, but he's my shepherd personally. So I'm going to talk for a minute about pronouns. I know you who are still in high school are kind of kicking me right now in your hearts. Pronouns. You didn't think this English stuff was going to follow you, did you guys? But here we are. Yeah, we're going to talk about English. Pronouns are going to be used your whole life, and there are many pronouns that are more important than others. What's a pronoun? It takes the place of a noun. I, me, we, she, he, him, etc. But some pronouns are possessive in their kind of flavor. Mine, my, ours, yours. So why does this matter at all? What am I saying? Martin Luther notices in his study of Scripture that pronouns are critically important. He said, the heart of religion lies in its personal pronouns. The Lord is my shepherd. If he were just a shepherd, okay. That's wonderful. He's God, but he's my shepherd. Christ is my king. We are his people. And David probably understood this as a child. It seems he had great faith. Many times I think children understand more about the truths of God and Scripture than adults do. I was looking through our children's catechism It's not ours, actually. It's not part of our confession, but it's a good one based on the shorter catechism. Here are the questions, the first five questions. Anaya, who is sitting over here before, she knows them already. So when you hear this little girl answer these questions with such confidence, it warms your heart because she has grasped things that adults all around you still are struggling with. Question one, who made you? God. Question two, what else did God make? God made all things. Question three, why did God make you and all things? For his own glory. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) That's just great. Question four, how can you glorify God? By loving him and doing what he commands. And fifth question, which is more relevant for tonight, why ought you to glorify God? Because he made me, and he takes care of me. 
Can you imagine as a child if you had grasped that simple truth of Scripture? He made you and he takes care of you. That's what David seemed to know. He seemed to know this not just with his mind but with his heart. We'll see that in the next chapter of Samuel. God, the creator God, was his shepherd, his personal shepherd. This was personal for him. And this personal knowledge of God is a gift from the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we get this. 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us that spiritual things are only spiritually discerned. God had to reveal that to him. And yet, throughout all of the Psalms, that's the heart cry of the Psalms. My God. God is my shepherd. Hear my cry. Oh, my God. He knew that God was a shepherd his king, and he knew that when he was in trouble, he could call out to his God. When, uh, if you're desiring to study more about God in general, knowing God, of course, study his word, but uh, I want to commend a, a book by J.I. Packer to you if you haven't read it called Knowing God. He discusses much of what I'm discussing tonight how all the attributes of God are so special, and then how they actually are for you. Because when he adopts you, all of his attributes are working for your good. All of God's power is for your good. If you have faith in Christ, you among all people are blessed to have God as your God. So... Relish the thought of God adopting you to himself, of purchasing you for himself and making you his own sheep, his own son or daughter, his own slave, making you his own. Because he didn't make this choice because you earned it. You aren't good enough for it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It's just because of his good pleasure that you can call him yours like David. Remember the covenant promise found throughout the scriptures? It's very simple. I will be your God, and you will be my people. All through the scriptures. I will be your God, and you will be my people. This was on, uh, it's been found on numerous artifacts throughout the, the ancient Near East, and the, sorry, the Far East, the Middle East, not the Far East, the Middle East. Uh, in Palestine, number of artifacts, especially in graveyards, they'll have headstones, and it was it's marriage language, where on the the headstone it would say something like, um, "I was Mary Kay's husband, and she was my wife." And headstones all over are using that same language that God uses for us. I will be your God; you will be my people. It's a special, personal thing that he's done for us to bring us into his covenant family, to lavish his blessing upon us. It's through the will of God, the work of Christ, and the power of the Spirit that he has made himself known to you, and you have become his. Song of Solomon is uh, not a text I reference often, but I love Song of Solomon 6.3 where the king says, I am my beloved's, or sorry, the wife says about the king, I am my beloved's, and he is mine. 
We can say that about God in just such a wonderful and sweet way. David seemed to know that about God, that he belonged to God and God was his own shepherd. He made his own people in such a way as they could have a personal and close relationship with him. So think of the pronouns in this particular verse when you read it and think that they apply to you. The Lord is your shepherd. Your shepherd. So what does it mean to be a shepherd? And what does it mean to have this God as our shepherd? Well, it means that we shall not want. This means that not now, not in the future, or not forever will we ever need anything. Why? Because Yahweh is my personal shepherd. David knew what it meant to be a shepherd, of course. In the Middle East today, they still shepherd much in the same way as they did thousands of years ago. In the, in the West, we do it differently. Um, we do it in the West with electric pokers and dogs and ATVs and all kinds of fences. In the East, they still lead their sheep. They don't drive them. How do they do that? They sing to them and they talk to them, or they just talk and they sing constantly. And the sheep hear the voice of their shepherd and know the voice. When they would water, if you've read in the Old Testament in Genesis, where multiple flocks come together to water the sheep. Have you ever thought about how they got the sheep separated again? I've heard it wasn't a big deal at all. The shepherd calls his sheep and starts walking, and his sheep follow him. The other sheep don't. The other sheep stay. He only listens to his own shepherd. And to say the Lord is my shepherd is something that everyone in David's time would understand completely. When Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, it's something then in the first century everyone understood completely. And I don't know what a, a, a current corollary to that might be. My sheriff protects my neighborhood. I don't know, but there's... It just, it's something that everyone in that culture could grab onto, and they understood that. The sheep heard the shepherd's voice and listened to it and followed it. It made me think of uh, the, the very short time I had in actual combat. We, the radios, when there's 100 aircraft on the radios, the radios are just crazy. You only have two radios, so you have constant bombardment of noise, of, of voices. Almost at that time, there were all male voices, and they all sounded about the same. So you learned your flight leads. I was a young youngster, so I was on the wing. I was flying with a flight lead. You learn his call sign, and you learn his voice very quickly. You listened for that voice. There were a lot of other voices and a lot of other chatter, a lot of other crazy things happening as people were uh, scared for their lives. But when you heard his voice say something, you listen. He was keeping you alive. My flight lead's name was Dozer. I hope Dozer hears this someday so he knows I still remember him. Dozer was a good flight lead. Um, and at a critical point in one mission, his radio quit working. And I could no longer hear his voice. All I heard was, when he tried to talk. It was impossible. I didn't know where his voice was. 
So I was trying to follow him in the night, not knowing what he was doing. And it's a hopeless feeling. On the contrary, when I heard his voice again, it's like there was new breath of life into me. I knew that I would probably survive. I'd probably make it. I wasn't alone. The sheep and the flock of God should listen to the voice of God in his word. The shepherd leads with his voice, the sound of his voice for their own good. Think about what is, a, what is a shepherd doing? He's looking across the landscape. He's looking at time. He's looking at weather. He's looking at danger. And he's leading his sheep with his voice through that wilderness, whatever it might be, for their own good, isn't he? He's not doing it because he hates his sheep. He loves his sheep. He's trying to care for them to the best of his ability. And he'll fight and defend them if required. So as the shepherd leads his sheep, as he leads them by talking to them, by communicating with them, by speaking to them, and we have that in the word of God, as a shepherd leads his sheep, he's leading them through places where they probably aren't expecting to go. He might lead them through a a valley that's dangerous. They don't know it's dangerous, but he knows the danger, and yet he leads them there anyway because he has an end in mind. Maybe there's water that they need to drink from. Maybe there's green pasture that they need to eat. He knew of the dangers. He knew of uh, the plateaus that were dry, uh, the terrain that was dangerous, the lack of water, all the dangers he knew of them. And he compensated for them and he led them by his own voice and he went first. What did the sheep know of any of this? Nothing. All a sheep cares about is what's in front of his face. And he's going to eat. He's going to drink. They didn't understand any of it. They didn't know the valley was dangerous. They didn't know that the plateau was dry or without pasture. They followed the shepherd wherever he led. The only thing that a sheep thinks of is the voice of his shepherd. This is David's experience. This is why David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He knew that God was leading him, and wherever God led him was good. And he wasn't going to think about the consequences of following the voice of God. But what happens when a a sheep wanders away? It happens. What happens when a sheep gets tired or weary and just stops walking? The shepherd would carry that sheep. The shepherd would leave the 99 and go find the one that wandered. We should follow our good shepherd wherever he leads because the Lord is a good shepherd. Let's conclude with just the implications of this. If the Lord is your shepherd, there is nothing, nothing that you need to be anxious about in life. That's just simple. This isn't a book of logic. This particular uh, psalm is not a psalm that we can discern particular logic, but this is so obvious. If you understand that Yahweh is your shepherd, there's nothing that you need to worry about. There's nothing that you will ever need apart from him. Our shepherd is the good shepherd. 
Hebrews 13.20 says he's the great shepherd of the sheep. 1 Peter 2.25 says he's the shepherd of your soul. He talks to you often through his word. He leads you well. He knows you personally, each one of you by name. He knows the valley that you're in. He knows the green grass that you're in. He knows the good water that you're drinking or the famine that you're experiencing. He knows it all. And he led you there for his own purposes. And he will defend his own sheep with all the power of the Godhead. So I ask you tonight to embrace this logic. If the Lord is your shepherd, certainly you should not worry. Let's close with this scripture, Matthew 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow or reap or gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, of, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They grow and they neither toil or spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If the Lord is your shepherd, you can embrace this text and follow the voice of Jesus. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you have given us so much truth, so much comfort in your word. We thank you for David and for his life. We thank you that at a young age you opened his eyes to the truths of Scripture, that he knew that Yahweh, the holy God, was his shepherd, was his God. And that because of that, he didn't have to be anxious. He didn't have to worry because you would supply all of his needs. Lord, let us embrace that same truth tonight by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.